Welcome to the Literature Across Frontiers series, New Voices for Europe. I'm Alexandra Buchler, and it's a pleasure to introduce these interviews with writers who came to Europe from conflict zones and made the continent their new home. We have asked them about their journey, personal and creative, and what made it possible for them to restart writing as they emerged from often difficult circumstances. Some of these interviews are presented as podcasts, others as written articles. And all are a testimony to the admirable strength of spirit and perseverance the writers have shown. Hello and welcome to the Literature Across Frontiers podcast. I'm Alexandra Buchler and I have with me today Rasha Abbas, who is based in Berlin. Rasha was born in Latakia and grew up in Damascus, where she studied journalism at the university. She was forced into exile, spending two years in Lebanon and later settling in Germany, where she has now lived uh, since 2014. She has published three short story collections in Arabic. Adam Hates TV was published in 2008, The Invention of German Grammar, which fictionalizes her experience of settling in Germany and learning the language, was published in 2016, and it was translated by her translator, Sandra Hetzel, who also translated her other book. Her latest, The Gist of It, uh, was published in 2019, and it was also translated by Sandra, as I said, and published by Microtext. English translations of her work have uh, appeared in uh, Words Without Borders, and um, her English translator is Alice Guthrie, but unfortunately there's no book yet. I hope there will be, there will be a whole collection at some point so that uh, we can read Russia in English. Russia, hello. Hi, Alexandra, and thank you for int- introducing me. So, Russia, what I wanted to talk to you about is your experience of writing in Arabic, living in Germany, living in exile, being, uh, being up to a point disconnected from your readership. So I want to ask you a lot of questions about that. Uh, you published one book before you left your country. And um, then how was it after that? How did you manage to continue writing? Uh, well, actually, uh, how I managed, like when you write, you you would just write, really. You, you would not think about this, like, uh, how can I survive or so, like writing. Uh, but the question about readership, uh, it was uh, it really came to my mind after I left Syria. Because before, before that, you would not have this question, really, because you write in Arabic in your, like, mother tongue. And uh, like the readers will be like also like Arabic readers. So it's just like that you don't even think about it. Uh, But this question really came to my mind and I really found myself uh, in a kind of um, like a situation uh, where uh, like I'm writing in Arabic, but suddenly uh, 
like uh, I'm facing the fact that actually maybe the readers, the people who are reading me are not like Arabic readers. And I really don't know how to feel about this because especially like this did not happen. Uh, like, for example, after years and years of writing and like being a very famous writer, so my work is translated, it did not happen like this. It just happened in the beginning of my career, really. And uh, I, I don't know, I found this problematic because I was just like uh, starting. I just published one book in Syria and that's it. And then suddenly, uh, like I found myself like in Germany and uh, like uh, having to deal with this question of translating and feeling like it felt weird. Like suddenly, like like other people will will read like what I write, and maybe they are not Arabic speakers. But the more I was into this situation, uh, I felt more uh, like I want to reconnect with the Arabic readership because I just felt it's like horrible that I will lose this somehow because I'm not living physically now in the uh, in an Arabic country right now. And I did not want to lose this connection uh, because I don't know, like uh, uh, it, it just like uh, felt uh, it felt like uneasy, you know, like uh, uh, suddenly like uh, and uh, actually, I don't know, like I felt like if I disconnect with it, I don't feel then I will be belonging to some kind of a scene or something. Maybe it's this. I don't know. Well, it is also a question of which scene you belong to, because it's not just about readers, it's about your fellow writers, it's about the whole environment, the whole kind of uh, literary ecosystem, which also includes publishers and magazines and, and uh, you know, opportunities to give a reading and so on. So really, this needed to be recreated for, uh, for a whole lot of writers who, like you, came from Syria, but also other countries. And um, it can't be easy because you do want to, as you said, you want to be in, you want to remain there for your Arabic readers. And they may be readers back in your country. They, they would be readers, obviously, in the whole Arabic speaking uh, region, but also in the diaspora. So, so, so where are your readers now, uh, those who read you in Arabic? Actually, I don't know, really, but I think maybe, yeah, a big part of them uh, is this uh, diaspora you talked about, actually. And sometimes I think also, uh, but I'm not really quite sure because uh, some of the books, you know, now the publishing scene is really hard, even in the Arabic countries. It's not easy to reach there. Uh, like with uh, each country having uh, like a silver, uh, like another situation. So, so it's really hard uh, to to reach there with the books. And it's just happening like with a few book fair, fairs here and there. Uh, and I really feel so happy when, uh, for example, I hear like somebody like got my book in like Egypt or Tunisia or something. Uh, but I'm not quite sure like if it's the majority of the readers there, but I think, no, I think the majority of them are in the diaspora, in the, among the people who left their countries and are in Europe or something. 
so what kind of response is there to your Arabic writing? I mean, not we're not talking about translation yet. How do you uh, know what the? How do you get the feedback, so to speak, from your readers? Are there any reviews in cultural magazines or on websites, or how how do you know how your readers respond to your writing? Well, it's there are different ways. Uh, sometimes I I was able to get some opinions like directly from the readers, and so and I like it. And uh, I think there are like two, maybe or three. I'll try to remember. Yeah, like uh, critical um, uh, articles that were published. Uh, and so, and I guess that's it. And I was not able to get that many, lots of opinions yet. I guess because of many reasons. Because I told uh, I told you I still like consider myself like someone in my beginning or mid career really. So I don't think like it's uh, like they got so famous or so. So you are now published. Your last book was published by. Uh, Al Mutawasid, which is an yeah. Arabic language publishing house based in Italy, and yeah. um, they're quite well known and respected. Um, what happened with your second book? That had a, an interesting genesis, didn't it? Can Can you tell me about it? Like the one uh, with the uh, invention of yeah. German grammar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that's actually yeah. The it's interesting. Because I, it was the first time I I wrote a humorous book. I never thought I will write humor, uh, and it's it was really kind of a coincidence, and uh, I did not think about it, but it just came like this. Because Sandra Hetzel, the translator, uh, she translates from German to Arabic. You know her also. Uh, she was uh, looking uh, for young Syrian writers. Uh, because you know, since uh, like since 2012, like uh, there was some uh, focus on like Syrian literature, and so in Germany, and uh, so Sandra uh, was seeking some uh, Syrian writers that she did not hear about like before, and so, and she came across my name, and we were in contact, and I was sending her like samples from my stories, but then during this time, like she saw that I was writing like funny Facebook posts, it, it really started like this, just like this, like about living and being in Germany and so, and how I interact with like, uh, I don't know, German culture. And then she said, like, those posts are really funny. Do you think you can like, just write a book like this? And I thought, yeah, why not? I want to do this. Okay. I like the idea. Uh, so I started actually, just like out of this idea, I started uh, writing this book and it just happened. It's a really interesting story because... I know. And, <laughs> and actually it was uh, like, it got even more uh, like reaction and people commenting on it than my other book. Like, for example, even, even though I don't consider myself a humorous mm writer mm. and so and i find the other book like the gist of it is more like if i can say my style but actually the invention of german grammar uh like i think like more people read it mm. or more, more people like liked it or disliked it but they they had like opinions about it so yeah but is this also because this is what you are 
possibly um, expected to do, to write about your your life of an exiled writer and uh, to, to write about, you know, your your the experience basically of an immigrant or refugee or, you know, exiled person, how you deal with with the with the cultural differences, with the language. Is do you feel that this there is an expectation that you will write about that? Actually, I will be really very honest here. Like, of course, yes, a book like The Invention of German Grammar, I would say it's easier to read. And you can easily, and I'm not saying that, that that's bad or good. I don't believe in this. I don't believe like it's, uh, if the book is easier to read or if you read it in a metro, then it's a less worthy book mm. than the mm. other. Yeah. But the fact is, yes, because it's a, it's a real experience. Uh, like it's something, especially if you are like, uh, if the reader uh, themselves like is an immigrant, like they are living in a new society, uh, they are familiar with the stories, with the situation, uh, with this uh, look of the outsider, Yeah, you know, like uh, staring in this new community and mm-hmm. so new culture. So I think because of this, and also maybe because for German readers, like they are interested to see like uh, from the point of view of uh, like this Syrian newcomer also. So I think because of this, yes, it's easier to read and it's easier like to find something like, I don't know, like re- re- really you can connect to mm-hmm. in this yeah. book. And also because of the humor, it's a humorous, it's a light, funny book. Uh, yeah, I can imagine like with the gist of it, it's more like um, like some of the story. It's really vivid, dreamy, uh, psychedelic at some point. And it's a more of a heavy book. So I can understand why uh, like mm-hmm. uh, this uh, the invention of German grammar was more of a success. <laughs> also, you were quite lucky because you were basically approached by a translator who said, write this book and I will translate it. Uh, this doesn't always happen. And um, I, I know there are other writers who are still waiting to be translated. So uh, so, so you also could kind of uh, connect with your German readership. And what does it feel like now, you know, being being in this environment where you know that you have been read by German readers? And we spoke about how you are still connected to your Arabic readers. Um, what what has been the response there from from the German readership? Like also as a response, like I uh, actually it got really more uh, like more articles were uh, uh, like published about both of the books actually not just German uh, grammar actually they were more much more than the Arabic articles uh, which is like the original language of the books uh, yeah it uh, they were much more and I was happy about it even though like you know as in everything like some people did not really like it but it's okay but it was really covered really good in the newspaper in the radio station in uh, like it's been years now and I still get, get till this day invitation uh, like for for example for a radio talk or for another uh, coverage mm-hmm. piece for the book in some magazine yeah so I think uh, it was it was covered good but as I told you like there are many reasons for this uh, because I, I like really like the Syrian literature and the topic was really in the uh, like it was focused on like till uh, since uh, 
2012 till now. Uh, but about like uh, how I feel that I've been translated as translated. Yes, what you are saying is very true. Like I know it's I'm lucky to have this because I know lots of writers like don't get it that easy. Mm. And lo- lots of people actually they ask me like some other writers I know and they would say like how can I translate my books? And when I say I really don't know, I did not really a- approach. the translator or the publisher myself and I don't think that's how it's not how it works I'm not sure Uh, so some people actually they would think I'm lying because I don't I don't want them (laughs) to (laughs) to be translated as well Uh, so that's why I know like it's uh, it's not an an, an easy uh, thing to do yeah so you are also a, a kind of cultural journalist and uh, uh, so could you tell me more about that you work for um you, you yeah, sure. editor of Al Jumhuriya yeah sure mm-hmm. i work as a senior editor in al jumhuriya mm-hmm. website and uh, also i work as the coordinator of uh, their cultural supplement which is called hamish and we've published uh, just like two issues till now so it's quite new the, the... yeah it's quite new it was just like yeah. last year yeah uh, who is the target audience uh, who is who who reads uh, who visits the website yeah it's uh, mainly like uh, the uh, everyone who reads arabic and like in diaspora or like who lives in arabic countries also but not not necessarily Arabic. Yeah, so, like, this is the audience, and it's focusing on, like, really uh, Arabic and uh, uh, art and literature. Mm -hmm. So if you say it focuses on Arabic art and literature, does it focus on both um, uh, the diaspora and and, uh, the whole Arabic-speaking region, or...? Um, yeah it's uh, it's uh, like uh, it covers both of them mm, mm. like and especially like a big part of it actually like uh, uh, the arabic like art and culture in diaspora mm-hmm. now uh, but also we are trying to not lose this connection uh, with the event even if they were so little even if the situation mm-hmm. is so hard there uh, but also like uh, what's happening what's still happening in the arab countries themselves mm. Uh, looking around you and being part of the uh, uh, the Arabic-speaking diaspora, not only Syrian, there are uh, writers from other countries, um, specifically living in Germany and specifically in Berlin, which is now considered to be, uh, you know, the the, the kind of uh, capital of of I suppose the diaspora. <laughs> Arabic literature. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and uh, so uh, so how. What, what do you think keeps this scene going? And uh, because what I'm interested in is also the, the kind of support that the writers may receive, that, uh, you know, support for translation, support for organizing events, for publishing. How does that work? Like in Berlin? In Berlin and in, in Germany. Uh, on the whole yeah yeah Yeah, I would say like uh, uh, that's right like now it's not only 
uh, like the Syrian diaspora mm. here. Yeah. Uh, like now, uh, it's uh, like lots of uh, artists and writers uh, are like from many countries, like from especially from Egypt. I think now there are lots of mm-hmm. Egyptian writers, mm-hmm. as I know, and artists. And so, uh, so I think that's like mainly good thing that you have some kind of uh, an alternative network mm. because, you know, after you lost everything and moving to this new co- community. So having this kind of a network, it's good. Uh, from the other hand, uh, on the other hand, I don't know, like, you know, like writing, it's so kind of, it's so individual. Mm. And sometimes it's not just like uh, the process of writings, but sometimes if your wounds are, are still open a bit, sometimes you, you need some time alone. Yeah. Yeah. So this interaction is not so easy, mm. actually. Mm-hmm. And sometimes some lots of problems will happen there. But, you know, this is the case in any community, like uh, who are together in some other country. And so it's not easy. It's supportive. It's uh, somehow like, I don't know, helpful. But it's not easy at mm. all mm. because sometimes it's not helping you to really recover. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, I can imagine it's it's not easy. Full stop. Um, yeah. Some other writers I have spoken to um, have been part of various projects where they were brought together uh, with, uh, let's say, German writers to collaborate, to translate each other, to 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 discuss what they you know their, about their work. Uh, do you feel that this is something that helps uh, writers to uh, become part of the environment and at the same time makes the environment more inclusive towards the newcomers? Uh, I'm not really sure. I think it should be. It should be, of course, it should be helpful, at least in the beginning. Mm. I'm not sure if that would be the same, uh, like, effective, really, like, uh, with time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know, like, but I think as a beginning, yeah, of course, it it helps. Like, if you have someone, like, a German, like, partner Mm -hmm. in, uh, like, in your art, in, I don't know, Mm -hmm. showing you around, (laughs) kind of, it, it can be helpful. But really what I'm afraid of looking at, projects like this is turning like being a refugee into an identity which is not you know like it's uh, like being a refugee it's like a legal situation you know and after that and like i don't know like i'm uh, started started to hear some uh, uh, something like refugee literature or something yeah, like yeah. it's there there is no such a thing so i'm really af- afraid of or i feel it's a bit concerning for me mm. uh, is this point and i think like yes like uh, the the situation our situation as syrian writer yes it's heavy and it's part of our life and we cannot escape of it and we should not escape mm. uh, but also like sometimes, and I think you and me, Alexandra, we talked about it like this before. Like, uh, I feel like you have the right to be just a writer, yeah. not yeah. the Syrian yeah. writer. Yeah. So, uh, and but I'm sure like lots of those projects are really done with really good uh, intentions. I'm, I'm sure most of them. Uh, and I'm also 
what uh, what can I can be afraid of or like it's it could be a concern for me is some project I've seen here turning into some kind of charity work mm, mm. and this is horrible yeah mm. I see yes it's um I I suppose you know being being in a situation where you move from country to country being a writer is it, it it's difficult i think it it is difficult because of the medium you use and you know its language and um it is very different from uh, being a visual artist for example um so but that's that's an interesting point and i've heard this quite a lot that you know you you, you don't want to be identified as a refugee writer. You want to be seen as a writer. Obviously, you are Syrian. That's where you come from. That's where your references are. But then your references can be to to anything, you know. <laughs> and really, it's part of the identity. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying, like, I can be, like, just uh, escaping it. It's part mm. of the identity, mm. of course. Mm. Like, uh, having, like, leaving my country and uh, everything. But it's not my identity mm. it's part of it yes mm. but it's you know like it's not it th- that's it yeah i mean it's it's an identity i suppose it is also um, you know um, emotionally it's kind of part of the emotional makeup of of a person uh and it's a very precarious situation you, you know we we can't kind of deny that so especially at the beginning um what i want to ask you um before we uh, we reach the end of this um, of this um, conversation, I want to ask you about the pandemic. Uh, it's almost like we're used to it now. You know, we it's it's been over a year now, and um, we have been talking like this um, to everyone on Zoom. Oh my people, god! Yeah, from yeah. how has it how has it been for you, and um, how you know how has it affected you? Um, as a writer, as a human being, I don't know. I think I think my mental health is not in its best shape now. <laughs> I think it, it affected me hard, really. But I I don't know. Want really to nag about it? But I'm uh, as a writer. Actually, I was not. It 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 was not a huge change, mm-hmm. to be honest, because I was already working at home, and uh, in kind uh, and I don't mind being alone, mm-hmm. and so, and uh, but it was a hard time, really. Yeah. And I don't know, like it was really a stressful era, but uh, and you feel like you are not really productive. And I passed few deadlines, and I've I've been through mm-hmm. all this. But um, I really try to force myself to be a bit optimistic, just to to be able to proceed. Really, yeah, yeah. We all have to be, <clears throat> but it has also um, how it has affected um, the, the whole art world is that you, as a writer may uh you know depend on um let's say the sales of your book but even more on fees from readings and so on so has that has has that been an effect well i'll tell you something alexandra and i really i i i I like this opportunity because i want to be really honest (laughs) i think that writers like me 
we should suffer sometimes. We should suffer. We really, we should suffer. We should be <laughs> not like uh, receiving those like fees from events we go to. Because I have the feelings that we became, I don't know, or maybe because uh, this is my uh, imposter syndrome speaking, that you all the time when you are a writer, you feel you are not really contributing to the society. You're doing nothing. So if we suffered a bit and became like real close, more close to the real life, I think that's uh, it's good uh, not to be spoiled the whole time, like uh, being invited to events and just having like this money for being for one hour. It's nice. Yes, but <laughs> be, I think... You must be the only one who says this. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, everybody. But lots of writers I know... Yeah. Really, but lots of writers I know, like they have this nightmare, like, what am I doing? I want to be like to, I don't know, work on a farm or something <laughs> or like to do real labor work. That's the real work because I have it. Like it's an ethical question, mm -hmm. like what I'm doing here, how I'm helpful, really. So I think, yes, of course we suffered. And especially like the writers, which is like, this is the only way how they live, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. the events uh, and so but I think in the first place, that's not right to have this life situation, you know, to be living just out of uh, like fees you, you receive from like events. And so as a writing and you, you be really depending mm. on this. Mm. So because now and I think really this is affecting like the, the whole creative uh, process, because before this time, like uh, at this time, and I'm not saying like I'm enjoying it. I think we are really spoiled, like, because we go to events, we get this, like, almost kind of free money after one hour. We go to nice residencies, like, in the, in some nice uh, area in Europe or something. It's nice, uh, but I think because we got so much, so spoiled and we only interact with other people, uh, other writers, you know, like, and we uh, kind of discuss, like, the same ideas about... Before that, we would hear about writers who would have to, like, I don't know, work as a taxi driver, who has to work as real professions, I don't know. And because of this, and I know it sounds like a huge cliche, but because of this, they were really close to the real life, mm -hmm. to uh, mm -hmm. the life outside this writer's bubble, mm -hmm. you know. And so they will find new topics. They will find something really interesting, like uh, inspiring mm -hmm. to write about it in, um, instead of just exchanging like the same idea among us. And uh, that's what, why I find it dangerous, because, because we are just, uh, we now want to write and do art about ideas, about concepts. We lost this kind of having a moment of inspiration, of this uh, like little detail, with, with, which is so charming for us. Mm -hmm. And then we will go and like write a book about it or like, I don't know, do an artwork. So that's what I think, like, yes. Maybe, of course, like uh, as a writer or as anyone uh, like working in the uh, cultural scene, of course, we are affected because of the pandemic, but we are the least affected because lots of people like uh, like other people, like I think they were affected because in the end, we can we can find a way. Mm -hmm. You can find an organization an organization that supports artists and that will take care of artists. 
it's not like the real workers who lost mm. their job mm. and so yeah so yeah yeah well that's that's um thank you for this because uh this has been the discussion um you know how how the art world has has suffered uh, especially especially performing arts because yeah. this have been closed uh, music venues have been closed so it's it's refreshing i suppose to hear a different view so next time i speak to you you will be working on a farm <laughs> I really hope so. I really hope I will be sometimes brave enough to take the decision. <laughs> so, but not as a taxi driver because I don't know how to drive. Well, thank you, Rasha. It was it was a thank pleasure you. speaking to you, and uh, thank you for your time. Always, thank you, thank you, Alexandra. Thank you for listening to the Literature Across Frontiers podcast. You can hear more episodes from the series by subscribing to follow the Literature Across Frontiers podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Feel free to rate the podcast and give us a review, especially if it's going to be a five-star one. Please also help us raise awareness about the Literature Across Frontiers podcast through your social media accounts. And finally, I'd like to thank the Creative Europe Programme of the European Union for making this interview series possible with their support.